You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Hope you enjoyed the icy days and probably a few days off of, of school and, and work. What do people from Minnesota and North Dakota do all winter long? Like just sit in front of the fire for three months, watch all the school cancellations scroll across the screen for 90 days in a, in a row. How many of y'all are from, from the North, like Minnesota, North Dakota, like the cold places? Just raise your hand for a second. You laugh at us, don't you? Southerns, Southerners who have no idea what to do in the ice. So you laugh all you want. They may call you back into school and back you into work while we're still trying to figure out how to get that one third millimeter of ice off of our car and trying to make it through somehow through the snow of the blizzard of Waco from 2022. It was an amazing few couple of days. With your copy of God's Word, would you turn with me, please, to the 15th chapter of John? If you've been here at any point in the last month, it should be no surprise to you at all. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament, the fourth gospel. John chapter 15, we've been in this chapter for a month now. We'll be in it today, be in it again next Sunday. John 15, we're going to start in verse 9. I hope you have your copy of God's Word with you today. We're going to be in this passage when we're done reading these few verses. Please don't close your Bible. Let's stay in here together to see what God has to say to us today. John 15, beginning in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do it, I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Just so that you know where we are in this particular text, We find ourselves on a night like no other night. It's the Thursday night of the final week of Jesus' life. On Friday, about 20 hours from him saying these words, Christ will die horrifically upon his cross. This whole evening was being spent with his disciples. All 12 were there at the beginning for them to have the Passover meal together there in in the upper room. And now the, the meal has ended. Judas has left Satan having entered him. And Judas has left to gather the men who will come to Gethsemane's garden to arrest Jesus and to put him on trial. So now as he is saying these words, the 11 disciples remain with Christ. It's an amazing night. Yes, it is fraught with the horrible reality of Judas's betrayal, of the thought that the very next day Christ would be beaten and whipped beyond recognition. But above that, our Lord has for hours been making astonishing promises to his disciples. 
some warnings, yes, but primarily he is issuing extraordinary promises. And as his time on earth before the cross is winding down, listen again to what he says, verse nine. As my father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And look what he says in verse 12. As his life is winding down before the cross, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's truly one reality that is dominating this entire evening. What dominates this night is the love of Jesus. It's a night of incomparable, unparalleled love that culminates in the very next day in the greatest act of love in all of history, the Lord laying his life down for us. Didn't he say it that way in verse 13? Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It's an evening of the love of Christ being expressed. It begins about one page over, if your Bible is still open. Go back to John chapter 13, verse 1. This is the evening is about to start. The, the dinner is about to start. The, the Passover meal is about to begin. Look at John 13, uh, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In other words, he loved them completely. He loved them, if you will, to the limit of God's capacity to love, which actually has no limit. Jump some pages with me again and look at John 17. Go over a few pages to the right. Jesus is minutes away from being betrayed. Minutes. And he is praying to his father. This is called the high priestly prayer. Look at John 17, the last two verses, verse 25 and verse 26. Here's Jesus praying moments before his betrayal. Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these, speaking of disciples, know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is an incredible thing. Jesus is praying right here that the very love that the Father has for him would be the very same love that the Father puts in you, daughters and sons of God. And then Christ himself would be in us. So love is the underlying reality of all that's being taught here. Love is the underlying reality of, of all of his promises, all of his directives, all of this teaching. Love is what is featured here. A night of love expressed by Jesus like no other night ever. His love for you is under all these teachings. His love for you is behind all these commandments that he gives us in John 15. His love is seen by, by humbly washing the disciples' dirty feet. And he shares this love by lavishing on them, on, on us, the promise of everlasting life, of his presence forever, of answered prayer, of assurance, of everything they, that we would need. The love of Jesus takes the center stage. 
Now let me say this to you. We have to do something with that weight of love. You're going to have to do something with it. You can't walk away today and ignore the truth that God in his son Christ loves you. You can't pretend that it's not there. It's the elephant in the middle of the room. It's actually the elephant in the middle of your lap. The love of God right in our face. You can never escape the measure of this kind of love. And you'll never be offered a greater, more sizable love than this. The love of Jesus. You're going to have to do something with this love. Give you some options. You can rejoice in it, Christian. And let it compel you to honor God with your life, your body, your words, your time, your, your gifts. You can wake up every day, daughter of God. Wake up every day, son of God. And be assured that he loves you ferociously. And his love is a love that will not let you go. Christian, rejoice wildly in the love of God for you. Here's another option. You can receive it today, non-Christian. If you do not know God through the Son, Jesus Christ, you have not placed your life into the life of Jesus, today you can re receive this love. If you've never believed on Jesus for forgiveness and for new life, you, you can do that today, now. Receive a love that will forgive you for all of your past. And you can stop looking for the artificial love that the systems of this world keep offering you. Thirdly, you can reject it. You, you can walk away from this type of love, this love that will never be matched again in your lifetime. That's what you could do with the weight of Christ, the weight of Christ's love for you. But let me warn you, for those who reject it, God will love you still. And he'll pursue you relentlessly with his love until you receive it or until you breathe your last. Then in his great love for all of us, Jesus says, and I almost can't read this verse without tears in my eyes. It's verse 15, John 15. No longer, this, this is the king of the universe. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. It's an emotive picture of the Christian who is a servant, and make sure we understand this, we are still his servants, verse 14. But now even elevated to this intimate level, being uniquely loved and trusted as a friend of Jesus. All of us in this place, we're looking for a great friend. You will never, mark my words, you will never find a friend like Jesus. There will never be a friend more true, closer than even a brother. A friend who will walk with you through everything. The word friend is used here three times. Verse 13, verse 14, Jesus uses the word again. In verse 15, it's the Greek word philos. And it's related to the word in Greek for love, phileo. 
And so it's speaking here of, of this friendship, or a close friend for whom you have this great affection, this great fondness. And I said this a few weeks ago, and some of you might need to hear this one more, t- one more time. Jesus has a great fondness for you. He loves being around you. We used to teach our kids when they were growing up, we'd tell both of them, hey, Caleb, Hannah, my kids' names, God loves you, and he likes you. Maybe someone who's above the age of three needs to hear that in here today also. Man, he loves you. He has a great affection, a great fondness for you. So do you see the, the tension? Do you see the dichotomy? Here it is. Jesus is Lord and you are his friend. What an amazing way to understand the Christian life. First of all, that Jesus is, is Lord. That's the foundational confession of Christianity. If you say that you are a Christian, you must say that Jesus is Lord. In New Testament times, people would walk around saying, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. Then Christians came up on the scene and said, no, Caesar is not the Lord. Jesus is Lord. You can't be a Christian unless you confess that Jesus is Lord. Romans 10 verse 9 says that. You see it on the screen behind me. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The word Lord is is the Greek word kurios. And kurios means someone who has absolute authority. Absolute ownership. Someone who has absolute rule. And it's used 750 times in the New Testament to describe the position and the title of Jesus. So when you say that Jesus is my Lord, you're not just saying that he is deity, although he is and he rules the cosmos, you're saying that you belong to him, that he is your absolute authority and ruler. So, be careful before you call him Lord. Count the cost. When you say that Jesus is Lord, you're saying that you're done with you. That you're not in charge anymore. That your schemes and your ambitions and your desires and your goals, your possessions, your relationships, all of those are underneath the ownership, the authority, the absolute rule of Christ. Jesus is Lord. But secondly, live in this tension. You're also his friend. Verse 14, verse 15 speaks to this. Jesus identifies his people as his friends. Again, let me say, Christian, this means that we have been elevated to this new level of being uniquely loved and trusted as a friend of Jesus. This is a new dynamic reality for the Bible. This is also a new dynamic reality for our world today. A servant can become a friend. We see in this thought that Jesus is saying, you're you're my friend, so there are no secrets. Isn't that true of friendship? Like true friendship, your closest friend who you'd call your best friend, don't you pretty much tell them everything? This is the friendship Jesus is talking about. Look at the middle of verse 15. He says, I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, everything my father has told me, I have made known to you. Again, let me say, this does not erase the idea that we are the servants of of Jesus, servants of Christ, but rather Jesus is also telling us here that his intended relationship with us involves communication and friendship and joy 
and love rather than simple dictatorship. This supports the, the vine and the branch analogy that we saw earlier in this passage, back in, in verse one, back in, in verse five, when Jesus talks about the vine and, and the branches, what he is saying is as God's love and as God's knowledge, as God's joy, as God's relationship, as God's union with Christ is true, so Jesus just passes that along to us. It flows to Christ, and then Christ flows it into us just as a vine passes along strength and life into the branches. And if you will, just like a friend passes a secret along to a friend. This is amazing. We are bond servants in the truest sense of that word to Christ. But we're under the most marvelous, incomparable, perfect master ever. And at the same time, we've been elevated to friendship because we're, we're, we're not just told to do things. Now Christ has disclosed things to us. That's what friendship is. It's knowing everything there is to know about someone. So we are servants of Christ and friends of Christ. Jesus is Lord and you are his friend. And all of this is based in that immeasurable love of God for you. Look at verse 9 with me again. John 15, 9. We've read it 10 times in the course of the last couple of weeks. Let's make it 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. What does that mean, abide in my love? It means stay in my love, continue in my love, draw life and draw strength from my love. Stay in the place of my love. Jude said much the same in, in Jude, verse 21, when he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? What does that mean to abide in the love of Christ? What does that mean to continue in the love of God? It means stay where you can be showered with his love. Stay in such a place that you don't move out of a circle where his love is being poured out. Where's the circle? It's pretty clear. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So how do you stay in the place where you can be lavished by this divine love of God, by being what? By being obedient, according to verse 10. His love poured out on us that that deluge is basically connected to obedience. And who's the example? In obeying the Father and staying in his love. Jesus, the rest of verse 10. Just, Jesus says, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father and the Father poured out his perfect love on him. I want to write this down somewhere, either in your Bible or in a journal or on your arm, whatever. The more like Christ we are, the more of God's love we experience. I did not say, however, the better the person you are, the more he'll love you. I didn't say anything remotely close to that. But the more like Christ we are, the more of God's love we experience. It's not like his love increases for us if we act better, do better, behave more properly. It's that we experience that love in greater ways, deeper ways. The more we follow the obedience of Christ, the more lavish, the more real, the more experienced, if you will, the love of God becomes to us. All of this, Highland, listen, all of this, so that we might be in his joy, that his joy might be in us. All of this is so that we might live in the joy of Christ. Look at verse 11. 
these things. What, what are these things? Verse of chapter 15. These, these teachings. Everything I've spoken to you, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Listen. The Christian life is not a life of rigidity and restriction and restraint and deprivation. Christianity is not unhappy legalism. It's not some brow-beating, dour experience of just gutting it out and hoping you make it in the end. No. The Christian life is living, as the scripture says, with a joy that is unspeakable, with a joy that we cannot even articulate. How can we have that kind of joy? By realizing how permanent all these things are that Jesus is talking about. All things he's talking about here are permanent. A permanent salvation, a permanent relationship, a permanent friendship, a permanent access to the throne of God that we might ask anything we want to ask. Permanent assurance, permanent fruit, permanent love, permanent joy. I want all of you in this place to receive these words from Jesus himself personally. So you see it. These things, verse 11, I have spoken to you. To you. To your people in the back row. To you. Those watching online. Jesus says, I have spoken these words to you. Those who are front and center in the spit zone up here, he has given these words to you. To you. Will you receive this from Jesus himself today? I have said these things, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, God intends that the joy that was set before Jesus as he endured the cross That same power, that same joy, God desires to give to us to endure also our greatest moments of suffering. Jesus had joy as he went to the greatest suffering and the greatest act of love for us who are the most undeserving of all people. That's the same joy. That's the same power that God wants to give to us. God intends that that joy be our joy. So here's my last thing for the day. This is what it means to be a Christian to embrace the whole Christ. To embrace the suffering Christ, to embrace the risen Christ, to embrace the reigning Christ, to embrace the coming Christ, who says at every single point, I have come that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The invitation is not to embrace a set of rules. The invitation is not to embrace an experience or to embrace a feeling. It's not to embrace religion or to embrace a trend. The invitation is not to embrace an organization. The invitation is to embrace the living Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is what it means to walk with Jesus, to abide in Christ to embrace the person of Jesus, the Son of God. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, what love, what love is this? We're going to have to do something with it. We can't just walk out of this room pretending like you don't love us. 
ignoring the weightiness of this love, the, the, the sizable nature of this love. We, we can't skirt it. We can rejoice in it, we can receive it, or we can reject it, but we can't ignore it. God, today our plea with you is to abide with us, to abide with your people. We thank you for this love that will not let us go. Jesus, we embrace all of you today. Forgive us when we've tried to embrace a feeling or an experience or a trend or an organization. We embrace the fullness of Christ today. Oh, sweet Jesus, abide with us. We can't do it because we're pretty faithless people. We can be pretty self-absorbed, even rotten at times. So our plea, our prayer to you today, Jesus, abide with us.